It's a regular Tuesday morning in Copenhagen. And across the Danish capital, sanitation workers are collecting household rubbish. Most people, including me, have already sorted most of their waste into various categories of recyclables. Hard and soft plastic, glass, metal, and so on. Leaving just a small amount of rubbish that can't be recycled. And it's that rubbish, so-called residual municipal solid waste, that the trucks are taking away. Their destination? Well, that appears to be an artificial ski slope across town. You see, once our household rubbish is collected, few of us give it any further thought, which is a shame really, because that's just when it starts to get interesting. Waste doesn't just disappear. It would, of course, be nice if we had a zero-waste society. As I see it, we are definitely not there. We still have a lot of residual waste, even though we do a lot of recycling. But I cannot see that we can be completely without waste. In a world that is starving for energy, in a world that we have to diversify immediately the energy mixer, including more renewables, waste-to-energy options offer renewable energy for something that is otherwise just waste. You're listening to a special episode of Ingenuity Talks, a ramble podcast about ideas that can help solve global problems. I'm James Clasper, and in this episode, we'll be doing a lot of trash talking as we explore the role that so-called waste-to-energy plants can play in making the world more sustainable. We'll find out how they work and why they matter in a world in which we're increasingly encouraged to recycle. We'll discuss how waste-to-energy plants can help bring about the shift to a circular economy. And we'll ask the question, is there a place for waste-to-energy in the future? Waste-to-energy is not a new technology. It has been going on many, many years. In Denmark, in Copenhagen, actually, we had the first waste-to-energy facility in 1903. And actually, it was waste-to-energy because it produced power and it also produced heat to a hospital and an old people's home opposite the facility. Uh, so it has been going on for a long time. We really expanded the waste-to-energy in Denmark in the 1970s, where we had the energy crisis. We realized that we had to rely on something else than oil and gas. So we started more and more to use the energy from waste. Bettina Kamuk is the Global Market Director in Rambol's Waste-to-Energy Division, having helped deliver waste-to-energy plants around the world, from Europe and North America, to Asia and the Middle East. She is a huge advocate for the technology's potential. The old incinerators did not have a very high energy production and their flue gas treatment were not as advanced as we see today. Today we do whatever we can to really make sure that we recover as much energy as possible from the waste. And we also have a very uh, complex, advanced flue gas cleaning system. Before we go any further, let's first define what we're talking about and why it matters. The first thing you need to know about waste to energy is that, crudely speaking, it does what it says on the tin. It uses waste to generate energy, 
usually in the form of heat or electricity. When waste is burned at high temperatures, the energy that's released by the combustion heats water within a closed system and produces steam. The steam passes through a turbine, which drives a generator and produces electricity. Having passed through the turbine, the steam still contains some energy, and that can be used in a district heating system, which provides hot water and heating to residential and commercial buildings. Given humankind's apparent ability to produce ever larger quantities of waste, you might have thought that waste to energy had gone global by now. In many parts of the world, waste to energy is not existing. We see waste dumped in rivers, in the sea, of course also in landfills, but principally a waste of waste. And there, waste to energy comes in because we can recover the energy from the waste, we can produce power and sometimes also heat that can be used for district heating. Thomas Astrup is a professor in the Department of Environmental Engineering at the Technical University of Denmark. He says that to understand the case for building more waste to energy plants, we need only to consider our less than environmentally friendly options for managing the huge amount of waste we produce daily. Taking landfilling as, as one of the, uh, let's say, least desired uh, options, we have the potential for pollution of uh, the waters around landfills, uh, the groundwater below. It uh, generates dust, smell, and uh, we have the risk of uh, spreading of diseases also in various many ways. And there can be generation of gases of all kinds. According to some estimates, some 70% of global non-recyclable waste is sent to landfills. In low-income countries, the figure is as high as 96%. Now, some might say the most sustainable thing to do with all the waste we produce is to recycle it. That's fine in principle, but as Thomas explains, some things simply can't be recycled. This is partly due to the way we design products. We add different kinds of additives, and when we recycle those materials, the chemicals, they follow the recycling into the new products. And some of that, some of those chemicals, we don't want to stay in the loop. Moreover, just because some waste should be recycled, it doesn't mean it is. Consider what's happened in the global recycling industry in the last couple of years. To incentivize recycling, countries have started to impose landfill taxes. But that's led to some unforeseen consequences. For one thing, unscrupulous waste dealers have turned to mislabeling non-recyclable waste as mixed recycling and selling it overseas. Until 2017, China was by far the world's biggest importer of recyclable waste. Then, Beijing banned imports of all but the purest waste material, sending waste dealers scrambling to locate new buyers. They found them in Southeast Asia, and yet its processing plants were soon swamped. Worse still, much of the mislabeled waste that was sent their way contained toxic materials that should have been managed at source. That waste has ended up in Cambodian landfills or in Indonesian cement factories, if not in the ocean. Those countries are now sending back waste that Western households thought they were recycling. In this light, some of the advantages of waste to energy plants are plain to see. One of the benefits is sanitation. We need to be sure that we have a healthy environment and by 
destroying the unwanted components that we have in our waste uh, by the high temperature in the waste to energy facility, then we are really sure that we don't have unhealthy material getting back into the production. In other words, rather than burying waste or dumping it at sea, waste to energy plants allow us to dispose of it safely. As we've already heard, however, that isn't the technology's only advantage. A common misunderstanding with waste to energy is that we put it in there into a building and we burn it and then it disappears. But that is not the case. We generate uh, energy out of it. And this energy we put into electricity, into the national electricity grid. And by doing that, then there are other plants that do not need to generate electricity. And by doing that, we save resources in those plants. And we may also save emissions if these plants run on fossil fuels. And at the same time, we generate some ashes that we can use for construction works. We can recover metals. And they also offset some other resources in society. And there we have a lot of environmental benefits by doing that. Having worked on waste to energy projects in 45 countries, providing consulting services for 155 new units and retrofits, Ramble is widely recognized as the world's leading waste to energy engineering consultant. One of Ramble's latest waste to energy projects is in Western Australia, Currently being built some 40 kilometers south of Perth, Quinana is set to be the country's first waste-to-energy facility. I think the Quinana plant is a very good example of what can happen in, in many countries. If you go back some years ago, waste-to-energy was non-existing in Australia. Uh, all waste were going to landfill. Then the authority decided that they want to move away from, way, from uh, landfills and they want to have a more sustainable solution. So they decided to introduce waste to energy to divert from landfill. And by that, you can reduce the amount of CO2 emission uh, going to the atmosphere or the methane emission from the landfill will be avoided. And by that, CO2 equivalent will be avoided. Quinana is expected to open in October 2021 and it typifies Rambol's world-leading ability to bring waste-to-energy plants online. For the Quinana Waste-to-Energy Facility, Rambol operates as owner's engineer. It means that we assist the owner of the plant to make sure that the design is correct, and we supervise the site work to see that everything is as it should be according to the contract. You don't have to wait until 2021, however, to see the kind of sustainable thinking the Quinana plant represents. It's already on display in Copenhagen. Renowned for its cycle lanes and clean harbour, the Danish capital is aiming to be carbon neutral by 2025. So it might not surprise you to learn that Copenhagen is at the bleeding edge of sustainable waste management. Every year, the city's million or so residents produce over 800,000 tonnes of waste. Less than 2% of it ends up in landfills outside Copenhagen. The other 98% is recycled or sent to the city's waste-to-energy plant, AMA Resource Centre, which produces electricity and heating for houses and apartments across the Danish capital. Bettina describes the AMA Resource Centre as a state-of-the-art, best-in-class facility, and she has the numbers to prove it. The Copenhagen Waste to Energy Facility has a capacity of 560,000 tonnes a year. 
that actually provides uh, low carbon electricity to 550,000 people and district uh, heating to 140,000 households from one ton of waste you generally produce 700 kilowatt hour. And if you compare to something that you know in your daily life, you can say that if you have an LED light pulp, then you can have it burn for approximately 100,000 hours. So that's quite a lot. What you can hear are rubbish trucks arriving at the Amara Resource Centre and dropping off the household waste they collected earlier in the day. The plant is located on Amma, an island just south of Copenhagen's city centre. Amma is where Rambol's headquarters are located, and it's where I live too, so the odds are pretty good that this entire podcast episode was produced using electricity generated by the Amma Resource Centre, using household waste I tossed out earlier this year. We put a lot of effort into having the highest energy efficiency. We designed the boiler, um, the superheater system, everything in order to increase the highest energy efficiency. And also for the flue gas, we incorporated different um, steps so that we could get out different uh, components from the flue gas. And we also had a very advanced wastewater cleaning system so that the water that we emit from this facility has a very low level of heavy metals. Actually, maybe it sounds a little crazy, but actually it is so that the drinking water here in Copenhagen sometimes contain higher amount of some components than the plant here is allowed to emit to the sea. That isn't the only extraordinary thing about the Amma Resource Centre. The plant is also known as Amma Baka, Baka being the Danish word for hill. And, thanks to some clever Danish design, it has an artificial ski slope running down its wedge-shaped roof. Amabaka's prominence on the Copenhagen skyline, as well as its striking plume of clean steam, is a constant reminder of how much waste the plant is burning, and thus how much sustainable energy it's producing for the city. In other words, it's an already iconic symbol of the immense role that waste energy can play in the development of a sustainable society. So the surroundings are, are special in that sense. Another thing which is special also is the location. This is virtually in, in the middle of, of a city and people live practically next door and they are comfortable with it and they, they, they trust that this is done in a proper way, it's controlled and uh, it doesn't pollute uh, the surroundings as well. The other thing that is uh, special with the place is that the efficiency with with which it harvests the energy that is in the waste is uh, one of the best in in the world, if not the best. In a world with a growing population and increasing consumption, there's a pressing need to use our resources in the best possible way. This involves reducing waste generation, ensuring high-quality recycling, and using residual waste for efficient and clean energy generation. It also involves the circular economy, the economic model that aims to replace our take-make-dispose model of production and consumption with one that gradually decouples economic activity from the consumption of finite resources and designs waste out of the system. Bettina says waste to energy can play a significant role in the transition to a circular economy. I certainly see waste to energy as a sustainable solution and also part of the circular economy. 
the waste we receive at waste to energy facilities is mainly uh, residual waste after recycling or waste that contains different components, uh, mixed material that you cannot easily um, take apart and recycle it piece by piece. Um, so we have to do something with that residual waste and it has a quality that means that it cannot technically or financially uh, be recovered or, or recycled. We also have the metal in the, in the bottom as And even though we really do a lot to take out metal before it goes to a waste to energy facilities, we, we still have components that cannot be sorted out on beforehand. That metal can actually be recovered in the bottom mass. We have a, today a very advanced uh, sorting system where we take out uh, both the last pieces, but also very small pieces of metal uh, that can then go to recovery. So also from that perspective, I see waste trinity being part of a circular economy. Antonis Mavropoulos is the president of the International Solid Waste Association. He believes humanity can and must change its relationship with waste, and that we're fast approaching a radical redefinition of what's called waste management. And as he sees it, the circular economy concept is just the beginning. The circular economy paradigm, I think it's uh, realistic and it's time to admit that it's not so well defined yet. The way waste to energy fits with circular economy depends a lot on which will be finally the circular economy dominant definition. In our view, we have to talk about four R's. We have to talk, first of all, for reduction of resource consumption, then material reuse, and if resources cannot be reused, they should be recycled. And finally, if they cannot be recycled, they should be recovered through energy recovery as the last option. How does waste to energy fit with a circular economy paradigm? If we have this systemic description I described, they fit very well. They have the same high-level objectives and they contribute one to another because at the end of the day, when we are working in waste management, material savings are very easily translated to energy savings and vice versa. In fact, in 2015, the International Solid Waste Association published a report on the growing contribution of the waste energy sector to resource management and the circular economy in OECD countries. We can say that in the developed world now, we have roughly something close to 200 terawatts per year. Then we calculated the potential per year. And calculating the potential per year, we came out that it's very realistic to achieve 800 terawatts per year, which means that right now we just utilize 25% of the potential. Antonis says this potential source of energy would be worth roughly 25 billion euros per year. Little wonder then that the tide is turning towards waste to energy. Dubai, Qatar and Saudi Arabia have commissioned or are planning to build new waste to energy facilities. China is moving away from landfill and has established new waste to energy plants, as have Malaysia, Singapore and Thailand. Australia, Indonesia, the Philippines and Vietnam also have brand new plants in the pipeline. In Europe, meanwhile, there will be an ongoing need to upgrade existing plants. In 2014, the EU recycled on average only 44% of its municipal solid waste, landfilled 28% and incinerated 27%. 
Some estimates suggest that new capacity of up to 55 million tonnes will be needed to meet EU landfill directives and circular economy goals. No matter what steps are taken, Antonis says we should stop seeing waste management as a question of landfill versus recycling or recycling versus waste energy. To my point of view, especially after the China ban and all the turbulence that it has brought to the recycling markets, it's time to speak clearly that there are very good synergies between waste to energy and recycling. Could we ever achieve a wasteless world? Antonis certainly believes so, not least thanks to the technological advances brought on by the so-called fourth industrial revolution. It creates a serious new potential for a wasteless future. You can see it in several ways. I mean, when we stopped producing um, the wings of the planes with the traditional metallurgical uh, processes and we used 3D printers, we reduced titanium waste by 99.5%. You can see it in the potential of recycling several types of plastics through 3D printers almost eternally without any losses. You can see it in the potential of developing uh, customized waste collection products based on the Internet of Things and big data that will make sure that we have no leakages. Despite the huge potential of a wasteless future, however, Antonis sees two caveats. So this depends a lot of policymaking on governments, on citizens and what they will do. If we want the developing world to go faster out of dump sites and reduce the ecological footprint they have today, they will never be able to do it alone fast. So we have to see how international assistance and grants can be used for that. The second problem we have is that this bright future of the fourth industrial revolution, it will generate a new tsunami of different types of waste. For Antonis, the wasteless future is either far in the future or right around the corner. It all depends on the political will. But no matter what path we pursue, no matter how advanced our systems of recovery and resource management, there will always be a residual stream. And this residual stream, it has different characteristics depending on the country, but finally it has two issues that are common. First, it has always some energy content. So in a world that is starving for energy, in a world that we have to diversify immediately the energy mixture, including more renewables, waste-to-energy options offer renewable energy for something that is otherwise just waste. The second thing is that when we have residual waste, most of them, they will include organic fraction. And organic fraction has pathogens. So if you are in big urban centers, what you want is to get rid of the pathogens as soon as possible. And this is happening with waste to energy. Likewise, both Bettina Kamak and Thomas Astrup see a significant role for waste to energy in the future. All the best case uh, scenarios uh, not to generate the waste, of course, but uh, apart from that is to reuse uh, the, the products. And then if we cannot do that, then of course, recycle uh, the waste, the materials in different ways. So they become new raw materials and they can be used in production again. For many, many, many years, I think, uh, and also when we look globally, I think waste to energy has a role generating energy out of the waste and at the same time controlling the waste. It would, of course, be nice if we had a zero-waste society. As I see it, we are definitely not there. We still have a lot of residual waste, even though we do a lot of recycling. And as long as I can see ahead, I cannot see that we should be completely without waste. I believe that we will reduce the waste by different uh, recovery recycling means because there are many initiatives taking place at the moment. 
but I cannot see that we can be completely without waste. There will still be waste that has such a quality that it cannot be recycled. There will still be uh, residues after the recycling processes that has to go to something else, and that could be energy recovery, where we then also recover the energy from the waste. So for sure, I see that... Um, I believe that we will still have waste to energy uh, also in the future where we have a circular economy. For now, Copenhagen's fleet of rubbish trucks keeps trundling across town to Amabaka. We may still be some way from the wasteless future that Antonis and others envisage, but each tonne of waste that gets incinerated remains a sustainable step in the right direction. You've been listening to Ingenuity Talks, a Ramble podcast about ideas that can help solve global problems. This episode was produced and hosted by me, James Clasper, for Ramble. The sound design is by Christian Mondrup. Head to Ramble's Ingenuity homepage for more information about waste to energy. Many thanks for listening and see you next time.